So what does it take to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, today Jesus gives us a list, and it's kind of a shocking list. We must hate our own family. We must hate our own life. We must take up our crosses and follow him. And we must renounce all of our possessions. Hate our family, hate our life. Take up a cross, renounce our possessions. Sounds pretty difficult. Now, of course, it's not uncommon for someone to exaggerate to make a point, and perhaps that's what Jesus is doing here. We do the same thing all the time. You know, I might say, I love pizza. I know I've said that. But not really. Don't really love pizza. I mean, it's good, but, but love, which means willing the good of the beloved, is technically not an appropriate word. It's too strong, unless there's something wrong with us. Uh, because when I encounter pizza, I'm not interested in what's best for the pizza. Not at all. In some way, I think Jesus is using strong language in that way, like hate, to make a point. But he's not giving us instructions to, for example, disown our parents or our children. But what does he mean? Well, let's look at each of these uh, different conditions of discipleship. We must hate our family. Well, For us, that's perhaps one of the most difficult ones to hear. And to understand it, we might want to add that we are to hate our families insofar as they are obstacles to eternal life. And the best example I can think of for this is that of St. Francis of Assisi. He came from a wealthy family. He, his father was a cloth merchant who worked very hard. Uh, he wanted his son to live with all the luxuries that he could give him. And at first... Uh, Francis really enjoyed all the earthly pleasures that he could. He sought out glory in the eyes of others. Much to his father's pleasure, Francis desired to be a part of the noble class. But God had other plans for Francis. God spoke to Francis, told him to rebuild his church. When Francis heard that message, he understood it in a very literal way to go rebuild this physical church building. And so he went and sold much of what he had, and also he sold some of what his father owned to repair this church. Now this upset his father, who then dragged Francis in front of the local bishop who demand, and demanded that Francis repay what he had taken from his father. Now Francis did repay his, his father what he'd kind of stolen from him, but he no longer wanted to live the life that his earthly father desired for him. God had claimed Francis, and Francis was a changed man. As the story goes, in front of a crowd that had gathered, Francis said, Pietro Bernardone is no longer my father. From now on, I can say with complete freedom, Our Father who art in heaven. And then he took off his clothes, wearing nothing but maybe a few rags, he walked away from his father. Very difficult thing to do. But I don't think, and it probably hurt his father's feelings, right? But I don't think Francis hated his father in the sense that he wanted something evil to befall his father. Because I don't think Francis hated anyone. But he did put God first. 
And when his father's wishes contradicted the will of his heavenly father, almighty God, well, he followed the will of God. Uh, something, an example that I've seen a few times in my, during my priesthood and when I was in the seminary, I know some men who felt a strong calling to, uh, in their young adult life to enter the seminary and to discern a call to the priesthood. But their parents strongly opposed this, which is really sad. But perhaps the parents feared not having grandchildren or they, perhaps they wanted their sons to have more wealth or perhaps they wanted to spare their sons any association with the scandalous acts of some clergy. But a good question for those parents and for those men is, what does God want here? Because that's what, where the deep joy and happiness really lie. Not in an easy life, for sure, but in doing God's will, in abandoning our own plans and hopes in favor of God's desire for us. Well, then we're going to find real happiness in some way now, and certainly in the next life. And this does lead me then to my next, or to Jesus' next requirement for discipleship. That we hate our own lives we should hate our own lives insofar as they are obstacles to eternal life. You know, our lives are obstacles to eternal life when we live them in such a way that they are at odds with God's law, with his plan for us, with the rules of his church. You know, we're weak and sinful, all of us, each in our own way. And over and over, we encounter choices between what we know is right and what we want. And we should hate our life insofar as we are inclined to sinfulness in that life. We should work to get rid of habits and desires that pull us away from God. And that's hard. It's hard to do. Perhaps that's why Jesus said in the next requirement that we must take up our crosses. Of course, we're used to hearing that phrase, take up your cross, Offer it up. You know, we kind of say that sort of flippantly. Sometimes we have crosses on our walls as decoration. But we need to remember, of course, that a, a cross is a gruesome uh, device of torture and uh, murder. And execution. Jesus gave up his life on a cross because it was the will of his Father, to whom his will was united. And it was a sacrifice for the good of others. Out of love. It was something he endured, even when it was hard, because he knew it was good, not just for himself, but for others. We too are called by Jesus to endure all the hardships and sufferings of this life, small and large, out of love for others. This means standing up for what is right, even when it's hard, and even when we're going to be ridiculed, persecuted, locked up, martyred, even could be coming, for standing up for what is right. It also means spiritually uniting our pains, our aches and pains, and our hardships with the sacrifice of Jesus, offering up our sufferings for some intention. Maybe offer up that ache or that pain in reparation for our own sins or for the souls in purgatory, or so on. We must take up our crosses then if we want to be disciples of Christ. And obviously there's, there's more to all this than just simply 
accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior is by just acknowledging academically as an act of the will that we believe Jesus is God. There's a lot more to it. Finally, the last requirement in this gospel passage is that we renounce all of our possessions. We like our stuff, so again, this is difficult. St. Francis of Assisi, he really did renounce everything. He owned nothing. And there's a lot of religious people in religious life, you know, religious sisters, uh, monks, nuns, uh, that really do renounce everything and own and personally, personally own nothing. But this doesn't mean things are bad. God created everything, and nothing he created was created as evil. Our possessions can be good and useful, but if these things hold us back from holiness, well, we need to get rid of them. So if TV or some streaming service is leading us into sin, get rid of it. Or if a computer or a phone is a temptation to view inappropriate images, find some way to get rid of that. If alcohol is a temptation to sin, get rid of it. I mean, the list goes on and on. When things lead us away from God, we should remove them from our lives as much as we can. I think all of this really can be summarized in those two words, God first. You know, God first, for real, in every aspect of our lives. You know, we come here on Saturday night or Sunday and we, we listen to the gospel, and we, but then we got to let it affect how we actually live Monday through Saturday, Monday through Friday, every day, not just this hour. This is where we find true discipleship, to let God guide our, our real lives. It takes a lot of trust to, in, in real practice, put God first in, all, you know, in our family lives, in our spiritual lives, in our economic lives, how we spend our money, and, and how we donate to charities, and, and even in our politics and how we govern uh, the world. God should come first. This is really hard to accomplish, but again, just remember that story of St. Francis. He certainly found deep joy, peace, and sainthood. And yeah, it did cost him everything in this world, but it's worth everything in this world.